the ClickZ podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. If the advertisers can't trust their agencies anymore, then I'm afraid the agencies are going to die. This is the ClickZ Digital Marketing Podcast, and I'm joined today by Mary Keane Dawson. We'll be discussing how the advertising industry needs to adapt in order to remain accountable and cost-effective in the age of big data and mobile-first consumers. I'm delighted to be joined by Mary Keane Dawson today. Mary is a digital maven, entrepreneur and business mentor. After C-suite roles at WPP, Stake, Reform and Collective, in 2013 she co-founded medical technology startup My Health Pal, as well as the women's networking franchise How She Made It. She has helped guide several of the world's largest brands into the disruptive and evolving landscape of digital, including Mazda, Ford, John Lewis, Bupa, IBM, Nestle and British Gas. Mary stepped down as MD of NEO at Ogilvy earlier this month and is starting a new agency leadership role in June. So Mary, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the ClickZ Digital Marketing Podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. It's great to be here. Great to have you. And I'm looking forward to getting into what your perspective is on how the industry has changed and is continuing to change. But first, I wonder whether we could start off with you telling us a bit more about yourself and maybe giving us a few of the highlights from your career and telling us what's so special about advertising. Well, I mean, highlights about myself. I mean, I suppose the biggest highlight is I'm still I'm still relevant. <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, the industry continues to go through this incredible change. So keeping up with that in and of itself is quite a is quite a challenge. Um, I think the in my career, I've been very fortunate to have worked with some of the greatest talent. Uh, in the world. And I've also had the opportunity to work all over the world, which I think has given me a, a great perspective on how, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a kind of global business, advertising has changed and continues to change. Um, so yes, uh, it's a very exciting time for advertising, because I think that advertising now um, bears little or, or no relation to the kind of advertising that certainly was on the television and radio when, when I was a, a young person. Um, I mean, I have an adult child and, and a 14-year-old, and, and the differences between the ways in which they consume uh, consume content and cons- and how they become aware or became aware of brands living with that has been very educational as m- in many respects more educational than some of the brands that I've I've actually led into uh, the di- digital disruption you've almost got your own focus group at home there indeed i have <laughs> i really do so in terms of the, the changes that you've seen, um, one of the, the biggest ones has, has obviously been mobile and, and that's sort of very much where young people now tend to spend their time. Have you also sort of seen the change in the the usage patterns and, and the amount of, uh, of time which is being spent in front of media now? Or is it the same? It's just switched from, from television, maybe in our day, more to, to mobile now? I think that the consumption of content and i'm using that that word in its broadest context is very different because it's so one-to-one as opposed to the, a much more collective way of of you know gathering around the television or the radio or whatever it was and of course the other thing is that the whole concept of scheduling anything uh, with regard to the consumption of content, just doesn't make any sense whatsoever to uh, you know to to people in this digital age because in the digital world we're always on and you need mm. to be able to consume whatever you want whenever you whenever you like, and I think that makes a a very big difference. And I think, but I think that the may the most uh, significant difference that I have noted and con- it continues to fascinate me is how the relationship between brands advertisers and uh, consumers is so radically different uh, to how it was even 10 years ago i mean i think the most significant change is is you know how uh, consumers are formulating their views about brands and their relationship with brands um, and I think that is significantly different because the agent or agency, uh, you know, that once upon a time had the, you know, invented the personality of the brand 
um, and communicated that to the consumer. Increasingly, the consumer is inventing, you know, it, it, its view of the brand, and the agency, uh, you know, is almost trying to push water uphill in that in that scenario. Could you think of a couple of examples? I mean, I'm wondering whether it's almost like, you know, sort of using things like Instagram and Snapchat. Is that yeah. the sort of thing you had in mind? Well, I think that Instagram and Snapchat uh, most certainly are, are very different uh, media to, the, you know, the, the, the media of television. I think much more likely now that the, the route to uh, Hollywood will be via your mobile phone and uh, making, you know, content that goes viral on, on you know, either as a vlogger or as a, as a YouTuber than it is that you'd make a television commercial that would, you know, lead on to that because the nature of TV commercials has fundamentally changed. I mean, it was, you know, it was an event, you know. I mean, at one time, and in your memory, I'm sure it's the same, you know, it was an event when, you know, Dairy Milk uh, launched the Gorilla campaign. You know, people tuned in. And, and, and to a certain extent, we, we try to keep that alive with the work that, Adam and Eve do with um, John Lewis every Christmas. Um, but, you know, it gets more views on YouTube than it does on, you know, from, from a 30-second spot in, you know, Coronation Street. So the, I think that, that that is a fundamental difference because it was a broadcast, uh, inv- you know, a, a broadcast invitation to engage with the creative and... Um, you know, we even used to run press ads that you know, to, you know, to tune into Coronation Street tonight to see the the latest ad, and that could have been for any major confectionery brand or car manufacturer. Or, I mean, I can remember Ford uh, when I was uh, working for them. We we did a whole bunch of inf, you know, infomercials that were you know were like one and a half minutes long, and I mean, you know, people watched them <laughs> and they engaged with them. Um, and they went, you know, and I think that that now, of course, you would see that type of content. I mean, uh, huge amounts of it, but it's actually being generated by users who are talking about their experience of a car or, or opening a box, you know, with their new uh, headphones in it or whatever. And kids and uh, kids will follow that content and they engage with it. And in a way that's, you know, quite... I mean, it's fascinating to witness. How do you think brands can continue to engage with that type of new marketing? Because it's it's changed from the top-down broadcast media picture that um, you painted yep. there, um, where you were able to just go and put a spot in Coronation Street and now it would hit 30 million people and, you know, almost job done, to now this wide range of different channels different platforms we've mentioned a few um but all, all of those you know they they rely upon users being able to get inspired enough to create their own content and then share that with their network and so it's, it's much more fragmented but how can a how can a brand um actually start to influence that and what's extra skills or functions do agencies need to be able to um get themselves in into that process that's a really good question. I think that, you know, obviously right now uh, we're going through the year of influencer media. You know, it used to be it was the year of mobile for the last 10 years or something. And now it's the year yeah. of influencer media. And I mean, I think in the last 10 days, I have probably been introduced to five, at least five new aggregation or uh uh, influencer, you know, database management uh, technologies, some of which that are already operational and up and running and are in the States, such as uh, ROI Influencer or Social Circle, uh, not Social the Circle, and Tribe, um, uh, but others that are coming along that are looking for, you know, investment and what have you. And I think that that a lot of these technologies are, although they're talking to agencies and specifically they're talking to uh, media agencies because it's all about monetizing the influencer market, I think that they are also, there's a lot of traction and interest from clients direct because the branding, uh, the, uh, the, the volume of content 
as well as the actual, you know, brand relationship with the influencer is being increasingly managed by the PR and marketing functions within clients rather than it being outsourced to an agency. And I think that there's a, I think there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I mean, I mentioned there just the sheer volume of content in and of itself, but Hmm. the other um, fundamental change is that the business of of an advertiser used to be in the real world. So, you know, it might be that you were Unilever and you had products, you know, that were being stocked in Boots or in, you know, Sainsbury's or whatever other retail distribution. Uh, and so the advertising was about, you know, making that ch- the right choice, you know, of that brand when you were in those environments. Increasingly today, we are seeing that, you know, digital is actually at the core of the business itself from an advertiser's perspective, from a brand's perspective. It's no longer, you know, the sort of four guys that used to work in IT sitting at the back of the room, you know, on the way to the bathrooms, if you see what I'm saying. It's actually at the very core of the actual business. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of my... um, people who've worked for me and I've worked with over the years are now on the client side, you know. I mean, you have SEO people actually, you know, running search for global businesses. And they were guys that used to, you know, used to do SEO for me at either Stake or one of the other agencies that I've worked for. So I think that that's a a very big difference in that the fact that e-commerce is now an actual major pillar of any organization's business strategy in fact in many instances it is the business strategy and as such i think clients are far more aware of the need for their you know that that they have to be the guardians of their brands and in terms of how the instagram generation are engaging with their brands via the likes of snapchat and and instagram and whatever else comes along in that particular space there is a need for them to have strategies that are in accordance with that. And I think that that's one of the major fundamental differences is about the relevancy that agencies can have in that world. And that's quite a sort of big challenge for agencies because the story you've been telling there of how uh, some other technical expertise now has been moving from agencies in-house. I mean, I've seen that as well, you know, SEO, definitely social has really matured now and you're seeing very senior social director roles coming in-house now. And even in a sort of display advertising, they're all coming in-house exactly as you say. What's going to happen to the, the sort of big agencies, you know, you think back to the 90s and you had all these big agencies, what are they going to be doing in the near future? Well, I think that's a big question that probably, I mean, every single one of the, the big comms groups and, and now the big, you know, the big consulting groups are asking super clients let's call them they are these global clients they have to remain really close to the consumer and if you look at the latest sort of forecasts about what the world will look like in say five years time you know we will see, continue to see this massive urbanization this growth in and, and this trend of urbanization you know the mega you know mega cities are going to continue to to emerge and particularly in the uh, developing markets, the dominance of kind of Anglo-American tradition of advertising, in the same way that the Anglo-American tradition of you know in philosophy and in ethics, um, are, is being deeply challenged, um, and that challenge is basically being driven by diversification and 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 uh, and in and of itself diversity in the consumer markets because i think that um where the big agencies still have traction is in the what i would call the business as usual piece but when it comes to innovating with regard to the communication strategy with the consumer I'm not so sure that the big agencies can really uh, step up to the plate. And I think this is why we're seeing the emergence of disruptors in the space. I'm thinking about um, 
like VaynerMedia, for example. I mean, you know, not everyone's cup of tea, but um, he's, you know, they have certainly come along with and, and shaken the tree very vigorously. And I do, I, I think we will continue to see that and the emergence of, you know, creative partners and collaborations coming to fall could be between influencers, creatives, filmmakers, media people, uh, brand strategists, and, you know, that are coming together simply to work on projects. And actually, in my experience, and from talking to uh, the global client base that, that you know, that I know and, and have grown over the last 25 years of my career, they love that. That's something what they welcome with open arms. Yeah, and we've been talking quite a lot about the sort of skills and the functions and how the agencies will have to change. I'd also like to sort of get your perspective on how diversity and equality has has changed over the last few years in the world of advertising. I know, you know, you you speak quite a lot about gender equality. Has um, the industry as a whole been doing enough to make sure we have equality uh, in, in the industry and, and is there more to do? Has the industry been doing enough? Um, <laughs> the industry in large part has been making noise about this but I challenge uh, the leaders of our industry to look around their boardrooms and not recognise themselves and that is what, and that is for women as much as it is for men. Where are the brown faces? Where are the black people? Where are the Muslims on your board? How are we reflecting the consumer? And I think this is partly one of the biggest challenges that our agency world has, because you know we've invented these hugely exclusive uh, country clubs you know, that uh, manage global brands and they're predominantly run by men. There are obviously powerful women, myself included, that have, you know, been, uh, are in the boardrooms. But, you know, we tend to be middle class. We're almost always exclusive, you know, white. Um, most of us have still gone to the best schools in the world or in the country. And I think that that's where, you know, the relevancy of, you know, the surprise that, that we have when we actually look at the consumer and we see a totally diff- unrecognizable bunch of people because, you know, they don't they don't work in our world. And I think that getting out, I mean, getting out there, it's not just about sending researchers out into the field. It's actually about getting online and seeing what the consumer and hearing and listening to what the consumers are doing and talking about and how they're engaging with technology. I think we're far too uh, uh, obsessive with, you know, making sure that we meet the analysts' expectations and that we're all driven by the, you know, the global number, as opposed to actually thinking about, you know, does our, you know, are we in touch with our Brand, you know, our clients' consumers. Do we fully understand them? Are we working with them? Do they work for us? You know, and I think that's a really big, a big challenge that the industry has. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing such a seismic change taking place um, between the client and the agency's relationship. And I think going back to the earlier point you're making about this change from top down to to bottom up, when I've been interacting with some of these new millennial brands, um, you know, some of the, you know, or or kind of following some of the success of people like Jamal Edwards, these bloggers, they, they are some of them quite small micro bloggers as well, but they have their, their niches and they are very much um, exactly that sort of excluded consumer that you are kind of um, drawing a, a portrait of there. Uh, and they don't necessarily see themselves reflected in the mainstream media. So they've gone and started their own uh, their own media, their own community and been very successful, even if those are sort of micro communities. And you know what? They have got massive clout. They have huge influence in terms of what they, what, you know, their opinion matters. And if you're, you know, and if we're not engaging with these guys or we're not actually including them in the conversation, then I think it's, uh, you know, it's a big mistake. I mean, you know, having one or two elite, you know, individuals in your, you know, in your organization that you can point at and say, well, you know, look over there, we have, 
you know, we have some brown people who've been in the organization for decades or whatever it might be. The, the reality is that that level of tokenism, I think, doesn't wash with a an increasingly aware consumer who is not an elite, is not a member of the elite. They're an ordinary human being who's trying to navigate an increasingly complicated and insecure world. And, uh, you know, that, that, to my mind, is one of the biggest problems that agencies have, because in this new world order that we're seeing emerge from a political and economic perspective, brands are increasingly having to become meaningful directly with the, you know, to, in response to world events and what is happening with their in their consumers' lives. And I think, you know, we've seen some really amazing initiatives coming out of Unilever. I think that, you know, a lot of that's been driven by the Foundry, which was their, um, which is their, you know, innovation uh, team. And in India recently, they, they had a, a huge campaign, which is all about hygiene and about the importance of not passing on disease. And they did it, you know, in really, they were actually getting their message out in the most interesting and clever ways. You've seen other advertisers who've been coming along with messages of tolerance and transparency with their consumer. So they've discovered the power of mission-based advertising and being able to tap into some of the, the higher needs of the consumer rather than just their, their sort of transactional needs. And just to go back to what we were talking about before in terms of the sort of equality and, and gender equality in particular, have you seen any initiatives that you think have been particularly successful at, at sort of bringing more women into the industry and developing them in the industry and things like mentoring or anything like that, which you, you think has been good? You know, I'm one of those women who have made it my business to get involved with the younger generation and to, you know, I'm a bit more of a stick your hand out and give them a leg up girl as opposed to lean in. It's actually down to us, you know, and we have a responsibility to ha have the conversation openly about, you know, what happens to people when they go on maternity leave and when they come back. You know, do we, you know, you can't just have one or two people and you can say, again, kind of hold them up and say, oh, here's an example of somebody who went on maternity leave and now, look, we've promoted her to CEO or whatever it might be. Um, if, you know, the rest of the organ, that, that person probably worked all the way through their maternity leave and, you know, because they're a deeply ambitious person, they were prepared to make sacrifices and compromises. And I mean, you know, I don't want to hear another CEO tell me, you know, oh, my God, I've got this massive problem. You know, I've got 10 women, you know, in the next 12 months going to go off on maternity leave. Well, that's society, right? In the majority of instances, it is women who give birth to babies. So what are we doing to actually make it okay for them to bring their kids to work? What are we doing about making it all right for them to actually, you know, leave at three o'clock in the afternoon? And, you know, what are we doing about real job share opportunities are we actually advocating that are we promoting people who take the job share option or are we writing them off and saying that they're not really committed to the cause and i think we've got to stop rewarding this insane these insane behaviors where we put the company before we put our families absolutely and there's so much talent available unbelievable amounts and and you know something tim one of the tragedies of all of this is some of the very best women that I have come across in, in my career have, you know, gone and had, you know, got married, had children or whatever their, you know, whatever their circumstances are. And then they come back to the work and they're back in the, you know, they're back in the grind, they're back in the hamster wheel or whatever, you know, they've got, you know, their life's not their own anymore. And they land up leaving. They land up leaving the industry. And I think that's a tragedy, an absolute tragedy, you know, and the amount of talent we've actually lost, let alone the talent that we've nurtured and, you know, and we've nurtured that talent too. We've talked about quite a lot of the context and the background of how advertising as an industry has changed over the last decade or so. That's been fascinating, I think, to set it up. We're going to take a quick break now. And then after the break, we're going to be looking at what you think is going to be the big changes and challenges for the future. Hi there, it's Tim here and I've got a favour to ask. If you're enjoying listening to the Clixie podcast today, could you please leave us a quick review? 
just navigate to the review tab in iTunes or Stitcher and either share some stars or leave a comment. Not only would I be really, really grateful, but this also helps other people to discover the podcast. Thanks so much in advance. Now back to the podcast. So before the break, we heard from Mary about how the world of advertising has changed in a number of different ways, both in terms of the way that consumers have driven change in agencies, but also in terms of the composition of those agencies, the skills and the people that those agencies need to uh, retain and attract in the first place. But now I'd like to ask you, Mary, more about what you see as being the future of advertising. And, And let's start off by thinking about what do you think is the technology which is going to change advertising the most over the next couple of years well i think it's more it's not really a question of an actual technology per se i mean obviously you know as in programmatic or you know uh, influencer media marketing you know platforms or you know i think what we're seeing is obviously um the rise of increasingly of, of uh artificial intelligence as a driver for the decision making of of how we manage the complexity because it, that's the, the the trend is complexity. Okay, so the clients are uh, having to navigate increasingly complex ecosystems from the perspective of how the the consumer engages on a, in a one to one with them, and that obviously drives the need for um, us to be able to manage that complexity. And out of that, we are seeing increasingly the the rise of the the tech acquisition and uh, alongside the, uh, you know, the um, the advent of you know t- tech stacks that are being managed out of the clients, uh, you know, the clients' world, and I'm thinking specifically about DMPs um, being brought in house, the in- increasing uh, need for the customer a CRM uh, actual to actually to be able to plug into the first party data piece that comes out of the online world and obviously the challenges therein with such like of the gdpr etc that there therein lies a problem and i think that one of the biggest uh, issues that agencies have had is is that you know it used to be that we led the uh, clients in the, into these new worlds with recommendations and uh, benchmarking and, and what have you. But as technology has become increasingly important to our um, the growth of, of, you know, the consumer relationship, that has resulted in new breed of, of marketeer who has a foot in the IT department, has a foot in the finance department, and increasingly has a, has a you know, a, a major say on how the commercial relationship between agencies and advertisers actually works. And, you know, that person is usually called the CFO. I'm seeing increasingly that the procurement drive and the look and the constant search for efficiencies is, you know, a major uh, new you know, pillar of how digital uh, technologies are actually now driving the client um, and, and consumer relationship. So it, it sounds like what you were so saying then is that data has become really important to the role of both marketers and agencies. And that data brings a whole new level of accountability. So prior to having that data, you know, marketeers and advertisers would do their campaigns and maybe get some survey data after a couple of months, maybe have to show an uplift here, you know, but it was, it wasn't in real time. Whereas suddenly now we're getting that data coming through and it allows not just the marketing department, but also the senior management to be able to uh, measure the effectiveness of that advertising in in pretty much real time and then of course that's where that um, CFO type role I suppose takes over and is able to hold marketing uh, teams accountable but why do you think it's the the CFO role that's that's sort of taking that responsibility rather than chief marketing officer or marketing director? Primarily I think it's been because media inflation um, particularly in the digital world is you know is out of control and uh, I think also the the reality of you know the costs keep on getting greater and greater and greater, and so therefore I think it, it inevitably comes into the CFO. Yeah, the CFO has to have 
a handle on what is going on because they're, you know, they're looking for investment. Clients are looking for investment in technology so that they can manage the complexity. And what the CFO is looking for is, uh, is robust technology that manages the complexity that also will deliver efficiencies that can be driven to the bottom line because they have, they have shareholders too. You know, so I think that it's the economics of uh, digital that are really fundamentally driving uh, this this new world order. But the, the, the economics are also driving um, the way in which we deal with, you know, each other from the agency and client perspective, because if basically, you know, the client procurement are looking for year on year savings or they're looking for, you know, you to reduce the costs because they've done an analysis or they've employed Accenture or whoever it might be to come in and do a, you know, do a, a, a you know, an actual uh, consultancy job on how you're actually managing your, you know, your media and your marketing functions functions within internally within your organization if that then turns into a well we're now going to have a beauty parade and put it out to you know to rfp i mean it, the you know if the drivers are predominantly around what technology do you use as an agency how do you manage efficiencies what is the um, reporting dashboard you know how much flexibility is within that how real time is it you know i mean these are really you know, these are drivers of their business drivers. And I think that, you know, there's no denying, as we've seen more and more um, advertisers, you know, looking at their own internal setups and bringing in expertise, even if it's not setting up the actual in-house agency it's in and of itself. There, there is a real demand for information at C-suite. And that information is being provided via technology rather than via agencies. And it's interesting you mentioned Accenture there. We had Amir Malik, who was the director of programmatic at Trinity Mirror on a couple of weeks ago. And he is now moving to Accenture Digital and Accenture, um, sorry, Interactive. They've uh, also bought uh, Karmarama. So they have a creative and media function now internally. So I can almost imagine that conversation that you, you were talking about there where Accenture brought in to measure the effectiveness of uh, the advertising campaigns historically being the sort of CFO and the CEO's kind of best friend have that sort of relationship right at the top and now suddenly they're, they're turning around to those same CEOs and CFOs and saying oh and by the way we've been telling you our ad agency isn't very effective we've got our own ad agency over here that totally gets all those problems would you like to use us it, it's quite a bit of a shoe in really for them isn't it an agency traditionally would have you know a relationship with this chief marketing officer and you know the direct marketing manager or the you know or the the person who's responsible for online online media or whatever you know whatever the internal job titles are within the organization and and those are now you know they 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 the actual c suite are being driven by results and they need to know that what we're investing in is working and that has to be you know they need to know that in real time because they need to make decisions i mean I, when i go into uh, clients offices i will see multiple screens uh, on the walls that are basically showing real time sales and real time activity you know whether it's their media activity or their marketing activity or their social media activity or what you know or whatever it is they're actually constantly analyzing this data and feeding it into you know the actual rooms in which people are working so the data itself is vital and i think that the influence that the people you know the suppliers and partners that uh, the brands bring in to help them define the you know that what choices they make with regard to how they analyze the data and how they choose the technology that will take them into the next 5 10 15 years is very very different to you know in terms of the impact it actually has on the agency world and i think we've seen that with the you know adobe's uh, marketing suites and that's very much pitched into clients as a means by which you know they can control and manage uh, their own messaging. I think in addition to that, you know, we recently saw Oracle acquire Moat and Moat, you know, and Moat's acquisition, I think, was driven in large part by the fact that um, Moat have client direct relationships 
I mean, sure, you know, agencies use them too, but they go with wherever that client chooses to, um, you know, use as their media planning and buying agency or their creative agency. Moat goes with with the client. Moat doesn't, you know, Moat's not the choice of the agency. Yeah, and there've been quite a, a few purchases by these big companies, Oracle in particular, Salesforce, Adobe, buying up a lot of data companies as well and just going back to the other part of data the consumer data what do you think is going to be the opportunity for agencies to use data because at the moment there's a bit of a tension between wanting to be able to access data about consumers you mentioned you know using things like dmps to activate data from other second and third party sources um so there's you know agencies have a lot of data out there they can pull in about the consumers but then on the other side of it there's the consumers increasing recognition that um, they're being in some words stalked across different devices across different platforms and you know that's turning and leading to an increase in ad blocker usage um so there's this tension there between the advertisers and the consumers how do you think uh, that's going to evolve and what role will data have to play in that that is a very big question tim (laughs) um well i think first and foremost the data piece is not going to go away. <laughs> That's the first thing to say. And I think it's uh, that we will see the advancement of AI just simply because there is so much data and it, you know, it is impossible for the human mind alone to be able to analyze everything. And I think that that you know, increasingly, I mean, I was working with Watson um, recently and you know, that, it's unbelievably amazing what the opportunity is with these technologies i think that the consumer um is you know i think will become increasingly you know mindful that there is a trade being undertaken and it just really is a question of whether you know third party or fourth party entities uh, come to pass that basically start operating in you know in the same way that um you know publishers do in the sense that they're selling, you know, their data profiles and they're in market status uh, to advertisers via some kind of platform or other. And I mean, this has been just talked about for the last few years. But I think in a sense, we're kind of seeing some of that happening with the, the rise in influencer uh, and the, particularly the self-made influencers, uh, because they are, in effect, you know, selling their audience and their audience is part, you know, in, in large part, in most cases, particularly those of, who are very successful at it, are aware that they are being, you know, monetized and they're doing it, you know, in, with permission. I think going, if we rewind a little bit back to the current state of the data, um, you know, the masses of data that we currently have, little of it is GDPR compliant. And I think that that is where we have the biggest challenge because you can't retrospectively, you know, make it you know, GDPR compliant. You actually have to find ways of collating that first party data with permissions to be utilized. And I think that that, you know, there is a, a real challenge there. And it's not really one I think about it, that um, advertisers and advertising agencies have been particularly enthusiastic about embracing. I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those things that uh, there's always been, for the last couple of years, some consideration about data security and data compliance. But a lot of agencies and a lot of brands themselves haven't recognised the impact of GDPR, which actually is in effect now. Um, it's it's just that from next year, there'll actually be the fines br- brought in as well. So so really, companies, both advertisers and retailers, should be focus, focusing on obtaining those permissions uh, retrospectively for all of the um, individuals they don't have GDPR compliant data on. I think that what, what a lot of um, advertisers are, and brands are looking at, what are Amazon doing? And I hear that a lot. And I think that's really interesting because I think, you know, of course, Facebook and Google, dominant uh, media uh you know, technology partners, whatever they want to call themselves at the moment, <laughs> I'm not sure, their channels, as well as technologists and data gatherers and data collectors and data aggregators. It's also developed um, its own 
you know, concierge, and it was the first to market with the concierge, and uh, how they are getting around the GDPR uh, challenges, or they're more accurately how they are being GDPR compliant, I think is actually, you know, a, a great case study in and of itself. And who they're working with, I think their technology partners, um, and they do have them, are, the, you know, the people that I think we'll see increasingly clients, you know, outside of, of Amazon, you know, retail, FMCG, goods, etc. will start talking to because they've got to, as I said earlier on, you know, the whole drive for e-commerce is actually the drive for data. Yeah. The two are aligned. Yeah, that's a really, really good piece of advice. Actually, straight off this, I'm going to go and check out a lot more about Amazon. I think you, you're right. We've got a lot to learn um, from what they're doing and what they're innovating in. Just to go back to the consumers specifically, what do you think is the most useful, most valuable data that advertisers should be trying to get their hands on now about consumers in order to allow more personalized and thereby more cost-effective advertising? You know, this personalization piece, I'm just not convinced that the consumer's even interested in personalization. <laughs> and I think we, we seem to, as an industry, have persuaded ourselves that that's the way forward. But I'm not seeing the, you know, much traction with consumers over what we call personalization. I think, you know, I go back to my point about how uh, so much is being driven in this conversation by the, 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 the desire for efficiencies, specifically cost efficiencies, that you can then drop to the bottom line. And so, you know, if there's a way in which we can build ads using AI that, uh, you know, take assets and then formulate personalized, you know, content to you, and that's delivered to your inbox or, or you know, or your when you're browsing, you know, on uh, on Google or wherever it might be, or Facebook. I mean, I think that I'm I'm not completely convinced that um, personalization is is actually the key to effective comms with uh, consumers. I think it's also been you know the, this drive for um, having a an art, you know an AI approach to the actual you know content itself, I think has been, has also seen the birth of uh, this phenomenon of you know false messaging and mis and, and mis messaging, and I think that you know that there's a lack of understanding of what we're playing with here, um, which. For me, I think, and for for brands in particular, have to start thinking about well, you know, what am I getting into? Because I think it's this is where I think advertising, and why I think ad blocking has become, and how you know, basically how skeptical consumers are about the actual stories and messages that they're reading, than the fact that they'd rather go onto BuzzFeed and look at pictures of cats, you know, because it's it's just not going to causing them stress. And I know everyone uses the example of, you know, like we're stalking consumers and what have you. But fundamentally, what we've got to stop, stop doing, and I think this is why you're seeing such an enormous growth in, in the SEO and search is still the most, you know, for me, is the most relevant type of advertising online because it's driving traffic and you can ignore it. And it's in a context that you understand as a consumer, I'm searching for stuff. So it makes complete sense that, you know, people want to present, you know, their version of what I'm, that's personalization that I think is meaningful. But I don't know if, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of, of technology recently uh, that, you know, kind of presents itself as the way forward because it's actually you know it's presenting personalization to the consumer but i'm just not sure that the consumer wants that level of personalization and it's advertising i mean i think what i took away from what you're you're saying there is that it's about empowering the user that that actually if they have the control to be able to access the information the content they want on their terms as as in search and the way that works then that's the way they they might want to access in the future. And that sort of rebuilds a level of trust 
I think, but also transparency because they sort of understand how search works and they, they trust Google in the, at least in the search um, engine results page to present it with good results for each search. And if it didn't, then they, they wouldn't trust Google. But how important do you think trust and transparency is to the wider advertising industry? There's been a, quite a lot of um, problems over the last well, six months in terms of both brands and advertisers, uh, ad agencies, um, calling foul over trust and transparency. But what's your view on how that's going to change? Well, I think, you know, it has to change. It's, it's, it's got to. I mean, you know, when we're actually looking at a situation where you've got, in programmatic, you've got like, you know, technology providers, you've got networks, you've got publishers, you've got everyone taking their, you know, ticket clippers, as, as one client called them. To me, you know, I've got so you have multiple t- ticket clippers, Mary. I, how much actually of the media spend is going on, you know, me getting in front of the consumer? And I think, you know, I'm horrified at uh, some of the analysis that I've seen mm. coming out of these media agencies where, you know, you're literally talking like 10, 15% of the actual media budget was actually used to get media in front of the of the consumer. That's, that's right. The, the Guardian did that famous experiment where they spent some of their yeah. own money and found that 80% of it was lost and only 20% of it came back to them. I mean, I think it's really ironic that the Guardian did that, you know, because, I mean, the Guardian are being shot, shooting themselves in the foot. The truth is that, you know, online is where the advertising will pay for it in the same way that commercial television has been about, you know, the advertising will pay for it. And I think that, um, you know, the the challenge is that the cost of actually creating independent content is is enormous. Um, And, you know, because we've been using the the, the sort of press baron model, whereas uh, the reality of, of, you know, having a user generated universe, a content universe, which is really what Facebook and uh, Google are, are built on. It means that, you know, they just don't have those costs. They don't have that infrastructure cost and they don't have that, you know, those people that they have to feed. So it's, you know, it, it, that is a fundamental problem that we have in the online world with regard to how the economics of it work. And I think that I'm saddened at, uh, you know, the fact that as an industry, we have not fessed up to this earlier and that we have not regulated ourselves more effectively and that we haven't brought it you know, we haven't brought advertisers into the conversation much earlier in the day, but we are where we are. The fact that GDPR is here and that we are seeing increasing numbers of clients actually having their own DMPs means that, you know, this whole first party data and GDPR compliance issue is probably going to just speed the whole thing up. I think that everybody was kind of hoping it would happen when they'd retired or had gone away or, you know, it's actually now at the, at the, you know, the speed at which clients want things to change and they're driving it again goes back to my procurement department for a moment where transparency is absolutely the order of the day, you know, transparency, transparency, how transparent are you? What you're telling me that I can actually, I can sign up to your tech, your, uh, your programmatic technology, but only if I, also, don't ever look at what, you know, goes on inside that black box. And I don't know how much money you're giving to publishers and all the rest of it. You know, and I mean, we've seen a situation where clients have turned. And this goes back to your point with regard to transparency and trust. And if, if the advertisers can't trust their agencies anymore, then I'm afraid the agencies are going to die and they will be replaced by new, much more agile and open, uh, you know, equivalents. And I think, you know, you see, as I said, we're seeing this with the likes of um, initiatives that are coming out of these huge organisations, these global brands uh, and global organisations such as Unilever. And P&G. P&G, you know, even British Telecom, you know. I mean, we're talking about a new world order. And I think that the agency of the future if it is called an agency, will be uh, a true, as my son would say, collab. He doesn't even use the word collaborator. We're just all collabs, right? And I think that that's really, you know, essentially the way forward because coming together on a project base, which is far more about being flexible and nimble 
and actually responding to what's going on with the consumer and is driven in large part by consumer data and to and consumer trends and this is where this point around transparency tolerance and trust actually converge and i really do believe that we are seeing now a, a, a fundamental change in how a, a clients are working with their agencies i think we're gonna have to bring things to a close but just one final question for you which is what's the one thing that you're most excited about now looking into the next couple of years is it a technology is it the way that people um, are developing new skills well i personally am most excited about building agency 3.5 <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do and i, I that's what i'm you know that's what I'm, that's what is so exciting about this you know that for disruptors and entrepreneurs and innovators this is a great time to be in the advertising and media industry because it's all wide open and i think that um you know that there's a fundamental change taking place in the ecosystem and I absolutely think that that is, you know, that is the, the top, you know, top tier, the leaders of, of the Marcom's world know that and are very aware of it. And the thing is, I don't think that they're going to be able to kill it either, because I just think it is a gra- it's happening at the grassroots, which is really interesting. Um, and, you know, I think that we are seeing the emergence of a far more knowledge based advertising industry but i still think creativity is king and i'm still not convinced that ai is going to aggregate and design something completely unique and groundbreaking wonderful Um, i still think human beings have a future so i'm excited about how we manage that too great so we're not all going to be replaced by robots just yet that's a relief (laughs) i hope not but you know harari's book uh, Homo Deus, if you haven't read it, may I recommend it highly to you and to your listeners, because it really is a wake up call. We started off by talking about how the advertising industry has, has changed and what are the key drivers, how the consumer has driven some of those changes. And we've got on in the last half to be talking more about what is at the heart of the future is it the data is it the accountability how agencies are going to have to evolve and really redefine themselves as the both the the brands and the consumers demand more trust and more transparency mary it's been absolutely fascinating to have you here on the podcast could you let us know how we can stay in touch with you find out more and then we'll say goodbye sure uh you can follow me at on twitter at mary keen dawson um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. There's only one of me. I believe I have one of the most unique names out there, uh, Mary Keen Dawson. So, um, and um, hopefully I'll be making an announcement about my new gig very soon. Thank you very much, Mary. It's been absolutely a pleasure talking to you and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Find more episodes at clickzcom forward slash podcasts or follow me on Twitter at Tim for Change. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.